0: Is it true that there are some jobs that are simply incompatible with being mindful? Is it possible that a person can practice mindfulness only to discover that it doesn't even work for them? In this episode, we'll show how mindfulness can be profitably practiced anywhere by anyone. I'm Sheree Funis with Dr. Kevin Majors, and this is The Golden Hour. Our online masterclass will give you all the tools you need to effectively bring mindfulness into your work and life beyond. In this four-week masterclass available on OptimalWork.com, Dr. Majors will guide you through all the key ideas of Optimal Work with exercises provided to help you master them. Now let's get started. Hey, this is Sharif here with another episode of the Golden Hour, joined by Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, good to be here with you again today. Hey, Sharif. Great to be back. Well, Kevin, uh, I thought we could spend this episode talking a little bit more of the benefits of, of mindfulness. And I know that some people, when they first encounter optimal work, can sometimes be skeptical of mindfulness and be skeptical of optimal work as a result of that. So I thought maybe we could start by just getting into okay, what might be the miscon- misconceptions or reasons people have for being skeptical of mindfulness, but then spend the the bulk of it actually discussing really the clear benefits of mindfulness and a- of approaching things mindfully.
1: Yeah, Shri, that's a great question. I know in my own life I shied away from all talk of mindfulness throughout my residency training and as in medical school. Um, sometimes it's starting to show up then, and I. I don't know, I guess it seems like maybe new age or it seemed kind of, or something Eastern that I just wasn't like that into. Um And so I just hadn't really looked into it. I didn't think it was like that much of like a very scientific thing. And it wasn't until I was reading a book uh, that someone recommended very strongly of the mindful way through depression. Uh And in reading that book, I'm not going to go into it, but I understood how the thalamus works. Finally, it's like, wait a second, this all makes sense. And it's this, you know, I call it the perverse inverse rule of attention that whatever you don't want to experience, your thalamus ends up making sure, you know, that you it opens up the the bandwidth for that signal so you experience more of it. You know, and whatever you're okay experiencing, it shuts down. So if there's like a neighbor's dog that's barking, if you hate that neighbor's dog barking, then you're going to notice it all the time. You know, and if you are okay with it, you don't notice it at all. Well, I finally understood that this is maybe like, I don't know, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, that wait, this is, this is actually what mindfulness is doing. Uh, and that mindfulness teaches you how to manage what I just described. That the things that you would rather not have, but you, if you, the more you try distracting yourself from them, then the more your system makes sure that you notice them all the time. If you're mindful of them, deliberately, trying to notice these things, tuning in to the very thing that annoys you and letting yourself equilibrate to it, kind of be at peace with it, then you stop noticing it. That was my first really big insight. Like this is, and that, that's actually a kind of paradigm for how we use mindfulness with emotional problems. Because when people have problems with anxiety, it's because they don't want to feel anxiety. And when they have problems with sadness or anger, it's because they don't want to feel the anger or the sadness. Well, they end up getting stuck in vicious cycles, which we talk about a lot here, You know, where they give in to the anxiety by fleeing things, and then they're just more anxious the next time. Or they give in to their anger and vent it, but then they're more angry the next time. And so mindfulness is an alternate path to being able to equilibrate your emotions and your attention you know so that you can stay in the present moment at peace. So that's how I first learned about it and saw that, well, this is actually a very powerful thing um that is very I think this is is just how the human body works. I think that actually maybe the best way of saying is that mindfulness is actually a skill that anyone can get good at. and it's the skill of just being in the present moment without. Awfulizing it, you know, both commentary and judgment, you know, or even being attached to it. It's learning how to simply be present.
0: That's, yeah, that's really interesting. I, my first experience with mindfulness, well, I didn't have any kind of preconcept. Maybe the one prejudice I had about it was that it was a way of escaping or it was kind of like to reduce stress. So I thought it was kind of, um, maybe cowardly or weak to do it or something uh and i was i was really into weightlifting so i wasn't you know going to do anything like that uh but uh but then actually when i started doing it i i basically got into someone i think someone encouraged me to get an account on headspace and uh i started doing it and what i found was actually quite the opposite is that mindfulness opens up this whole horizon of of str- of challenge and struggle that's internal that when I always thought about improving work, I was always thinking about managing external things. If I was managing people, how do you get other people to do what you want them to do? Uh, but then with mindfulness, it kind of puts the focus more on internal. Okay, you're not thinking clearly or you're not distracted. So how do you work with that uh, for you? Um, so that that mindfulness kind of helped me to flip flip the challenge, I guess, internally.
1: Um, yeah, I think that in that sense, it's the skill of self-regulation, so Because it means that if you're angry and then you're mindful of it, you can control your behavior. If you're working and you're bringing in mindfulness, you end up working better. Uh, If you're with friends and you're mindful, you're more with your friends. So it's, it's one of these key skills to help people put their whole heart into what they're doing.
0: Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't
1: take you away in the end. Yeah. Some people, I guess, think, people think that, that, oh, I'm going to have to go do my mindfulness now. And then they like go away for a long time and then are just meditating while the house is burning down or there's all these things not being, you know, but I don't, in my experience, that never really happens. You know, it's, it's it, when people are mindful, they're more aware of real priorities. So it helps you to be in touch with reality. And so it doesn't get people like in their own heads. That's the funny thing about it. You know, that when you're doing mindfulness, you're completely silent inside, or at least you're not deliberately trying to think things. But it's a different way of being a being than when you're worrying or ruminating or cogitating. And then like, you know, like when people get that far off look, when they're kind of in their own thoughts, kind of lost in their own thoughts, Daydreaming. That's that's a different kind of detachment from reality that you don't get with mindfulness at all. Mindfulness is actually how you go against that. In severe cases, people experience what's called dissociation, where they're these are people who've had traumas will cont- uh, feel disconnected from the world, and like they and it can actually scare them because they they're either just in their own thoughts or they just feel disconnected. And it's actually the habit of mindfulness that anchors them in the present moment to keep them from being dissociated. So it's a very powerful stabilizing tool for one's whole personality, and it's this kind of skill that you just you can practice little by little. You don't have to go, you know, um, be absent from life for a long time to do it.
0: And so we were uh, we propo- we often recommend that people do mindfulness in the morning for, say, 15 minutes or 30 minutes to do a set time of practice. But we also recommend that people do it before they start working. So I, was, I wonder if you could kind of fill out the picture of how mindfulness kind of integrates with the rest of life or more specifically integrates with work.
1: Yeah. The most research that's been done to show all the benefits of mindfulness in, in our masterclass, we, you know, we talking about some of that research. On day three, uh, which is more dedicated you know, towards this skill. Well, that was done with 15 minutes a day. And I think when you're doing a research study, you want to study 15 minutes a day because you don't want to shortchange the practice and then find that there's no effect or, you know, something. So they just want to make sure it's adequate. In truth, we do not know what is the minimum needed dose of deliberate practice. So, and we do seem to know, I think that there's an indication that that practice can be divided up. So I think that an ideal thing is that you get a certain amount in the morning and kind of, you, know, you would think that when you first wake up and you do mindfulness, won't it make you tired or you get sleepy? And in fact, it tends to give people energy, you know, at least with a little bit of time in practicing it, they find they're, they're more energized after it. It also helps people to help to deal with worrying, which many times is worst in the morning. So a lot of people who have trouble with worrying and controlling their imagination when they're anxious, well, they experience it, especially in the morning. And so mindfulness in the morning is really good for that. And often we'll say right after exercise. And then you get even more of a, you know, exercise is an adrenaline kind of activity. And so you get sympathetic activation. Mindfulness gives you parasympathetic activation. It's the balancing. It zeroes out your stress response. And you get even more parasympathetics after exercise. So the idea is then that's like a very nice morning routine, that there's some time of exercise and then there's some time of mindfulness. But even then, even if you do that, there are still benefits to having small times of practice during the day. And, and this could be one minute or three minutes or five minutes. Of clearing your mind, of being silent, you know, before you start working, so that you feel settled. So that's, I think, something that just about anyone can do, that they are able to, you know, just dedicate even sixty seconds to, you know, to kind of recovering themselves, um, to to collect themselves back together again, recollect themselves, uh, and when they do that, then they're actually much more able to be intense. In the next time of work, because mindfulness, by giving giving you this kind of intense engagement with the present moment, with no thoughts about past or future, well, you just have more intensity then when you transfer that into work. And so, it, so it's like you you are the skill of mindfulness is building up the same muscle as intense engagement in work, and that's a very cool thing that can be measured too.
0: So Kevin, following up on this, the importance of slowing down and taking time in between things to um, recollect your attention, what advice would you give to people who think that maybe they, they don't even have that time? They have very active jobs, like say a nurse or a teacher, where maybe they're not really in control of their schedule to that extent.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful question. We do get this question from people in these fields of how do I... You know, how can I work more mindfully or how do I do optimal work? You know, because like if you're a high school teacher or any kind of teacher, you just, you might not have any time to yourself. You know, it it might be that you're in a classroom all the time. Okay, Well, great. What do you do then? Well, you already kind of hinted at it when you said slowing down. And you could think of slowing down as taking, you know, one to five minutes as a break, but it is completely enough. To just slow down, trying to do your daily routine in a mindful way. When you're getting dressed in the morning, try dressing more slowly. You know, when you're, I guess, brushing your teeth, you're not. It's a little different if you do it slowly, but uh, uh, but but the things that you can slow down, just make your movements slower. Going up and down stairs, walking places. Try to walk more slowly. It's nice because slowing down is generally speaking not detectable to other people. Now, they can't really tell you're doing it. But if you just put a little bit of a regulator on your motor so that you go a slight more slowly, it causes you to, it opens up a whole nother way of being in that situation so there's something that's slowing down that is really actually the essence of mindfulness. Because it, it means you can do things more deliberately. You can put a little more care into things. You know, and just to see how many deliberate actions can you do, you know, in the morning before you start working or while you're at work. You know, if the, the high school teacher, you know, if he or she is going to be racing things on the board or going to be putting things up, they can do it slightly more slowly and that ha- that gives them the benefits of mindfulness because it requires that you be fully deliberately engaged to do that that is what activates your medial prefrontal cortex fully you know that is what mindfulness does as well so i think when when you if you look at the neuroscience of what's happening in the brain that is going to be the same you know if you're just doing it slowly versus if you had paused collected yourself and then and then did it it's super powerful though
0: That's really interesting. And it gets to actually a question that we've gotten very recently, someone asking about mindfulness of the breath. And it occurred to them that there might be two ways of doing it. One is to uh, just deliberately kind of attend more closely to your breath. So, okay, I'm already breathing, but now I'm just going to watch it more closely. Uh, But then the other way is actually to deliberately change the way you breathe, which is so sometimes we, we kind of recommend both that you change your breathing to a four to four two the kind of box breathing and then also tune into it. But if you separate that the, that out into two different practices, which is the real practice of mindfulness, or is is either preferable? I guess they're both in a sense mindfulness. But what you you seem to be suggesting is changing the way you do something helps you then attend to how you're doing it.
1: Well, there and there are different types of mindfulness, um, and in some ways, you can distinguish the schools based on their approach to the breath. And so, the more open school of mindfulness is encouraging people to not control their breath at all; just be an observer of the breath, you know, and be an observer of your thoughts. And there, what you're mostly trying to practice is non-intervention. Just you let thoughts come and go. You let the breath be whatever it is. I think that can be really healthy for driven people, you know, and who are always wanting to control everything. So, and in that case, it does, it's really, really therapeutic for them to have some time of no control at all. You know, and what they're trying to do then is just hold their mind in a, I guess, in a kind of neutral position just acknowledging what's coming and going without doing anything to change it there's a, there's another kind of approach you know which is going to be a little more focused and that's where you are trying to more completely kind of tether your attention to the present moment typically using the breath as the way of doing that uh and so in when you're doing that you're just fully anchoring yourself in the breath uh Sometimes then, you know, they'll, they'll suggest that you breathe in a certain pattern, like four, two, four, two. I think in general, no matter what kind of mindfulness you're doing, you don't want to be counting in your head, but that might be unavoidable at times. So the best thing is that you just get into a certain rhythm of breathing and then try to let go of the rhythm itself. And then just pay attention to feeling the whole phase of the inhale, feeling the pause. Feeling the whole phase of the exhale, feeling the pause, and trying to let that take up all of your attention. Now, I think in reality, these two like approaches—there's like an open or a closed approach, or a more unfocused approach and a more focused approach. I think in the end, they're, they're they're pretty similar, you know. And there might be some small differences, you know, in fMRI, but in general, these are both what we call mindfulness. So it's the more allowing type or the more focused type. In optimal work, we tend to use more of the focused type, you know, of, of helping people to focus on the breath and then to, we give them a counting of the breath that they can be, what we're trying to do is get people to slow down and notice sensations and use their power of internal sensation. It's called interoception as to anchor them completely in the present moment. That seems to be the best at quieting the background attention where their chatter occurs in the head. And so all the internal monologuing, that seems to be the best at giving people a freedom from that. And that also seems, in our experience, not more, to really help people then lay out the task they're about to do in peace and, and calm. And it's like they have now, by having quieted their background attention with mindfulness for a minute or three, now it's ready for direction. And then they can train it by laying out the steps that they're about to do. And then they end up having many, many fewer distractions during that time because they properly trained it. So I think that the way we do it, like in the golden hour on the site, um, is, is very, very powerful, you know, at doing a number of, a number of subtle things.
0: That's great. So, and I think you kind of hinted at this of like what it means to be mindful while you're doing work. Because uh, we're talking about mindfulness in preparation for work. Um, but then w- w- one experience I've had is that when I'm practicing mindfulness, I like being mindful. Uh, it's, it's something that it's kind of enjoyable and pleasant. Um, but how do you bring that same sense into actually now doing the, when you're doing the work? Uh, so you recommended slowing down. Is that the, the main thing? Are there others? That's enough. Yeah, because when you think about
1: rushing, okay, when you're rushing in work, that is going to tend to be mindless. Certainly people don't improve their work while they're rushing because you don't have any free thoughts to think about how could I do this better. So rushing leads people to just be very much in a kind of mindless, or you could say in a doing mode. So you're just kind of getting something done and it tends toward being more automatic you know, cause there you're not trying to modulate the content of what you're doing. You're just trying to increase the speed. But if you slow down what you're doing, even it doesn't have to be that perceptible to the outside. Slowing down puts you right into a different kind of mode, a much more mindful mode. It's like what some people call the being mode. And then all these like this possibilities. For doing a task with more love, more creativity, bringing in an ideal into the task, all of that opens up just by going slower. So whatever it is, if you can slow down a bit, you'll find the task is suddenly shapeable. It's It can change. So, And I think that is a real discovery for people. But try doing anything more slowly and you'll see you can improve how you do it. Try to make it more elegant. Try to make your movements more fluid. You try to smooth things over. And as you do that, you actually stay very deliberate and mindful the whole time. So people who say that their jobs don't allow them to be mindful, well, does your job allow you to be deliberate? Well, of course it does. All work is going to allow people to be deliberate in some way. And I think even if you're playing, say, playing squash, You can play squash more deliberately, more mindfully, by being aware of what you're doing. You're not rushing through the moves, even though the speed might not be that different. But in your head, you're being more deliberately attentive to how you're doing the forehand and the backhand. So I think even in those situations where you're externally moving at the same speed, internally, you could still be have a little bit of distance and be detached. So I think there's a sense in which when we're in doing mode, it's all about there's, you know, the, the the steps of it are called duration path outcome. What that means is that there's something you're trying to get done and you have some pathway you're trying to use to get there within, within a certain amount of time. And the characteristic of doing mode is those three things. That That's just, these are really neurological things. You know, that you're using a certain network in your brain that is always calculating duration path outcome. And I think problems arise when people are stuck in doing mode all day long. Because then, when they go to rest, what do they do? Well, they want to, um, you know. For instance, I was just talking to someone, you know, play chess, and that's the way they rest. Well, that's still kind of duration path outcome. It's still, it's still like a way where, you know, or it could be just um, trying to go through their phone and see how many headlines they can see and how much, you know, and and reading things. That's not really. I think what you want for a break is something that allows you just to completely get out of that duration path outcome or doing mode and just be being something where it doesn't matter how long it takes, you know, and that could be, you know, since you, you go outside, you know, and, and you're able to like take in, the, the, hopefully there's nature around you, you know, or at least there's the sky, and to take that in or you're with people, you know, and you, know, you talk to them and you just like, forget about what you were doing and you put your whole attention into the person you're with. But somehow the being mode allows you to be like with reality, to be with others. It's really being with mode, you know? And so rather than just doing, 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 and it's really, really necessary for the brain to have these moments of break so that it's not just a ceaseless list of things that you're doing from when you get up to when you go to bed. But there's some of these times you just turn all that off, And now you're just doing something, which means that when people are doing mindfulness, I think it's best that they try to not be aware of how much time is left or how much. Try to do it as if you had all the time in the world to do it. So you try to like not let yourself pay attention to how long or short it is so that you get out of duration path outcome. Yeah, you know, it's not like they have this idea like, oh, I have this certain outcome I'm I really want to be a certain level of mindfulness and this is my strategy and I'm gonna do it for you know, one minutes or three minutes or five minutes. It could still actually be left in doing mode. And and then you get this funny thing where people will say that they tried to be mindful and it didn't work. So that means that they had an outcome, that they felt like they didn't have the right pathway. And so within the certain duration, they had an outcome and they didn't achieve it. But that just shows that it, you know, they were actually trying to be in doing mode while doing mindfulness, and so that—that's actually what doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing uh, in an article they were quoting some of the participants, and one of the participants said uh, we were trying to do mindfulness. I think they were a, a doctor, but it was impossible because my pager kept going off, and that and we were trying to be mind- meditate, and everyone's pager was going off. It really wasn't conducive to to meditation or to mindfulness. It's like, okay, it's
1: a perfect example. Yeah, people think like interruptions or distractions that would come up somehow invalidate because they don't let you get the outcome you were trying to get to, which is like a certain state of relaxation, I guess. But that's not what mindfulness is about. Mindfulness is actually just about getting, turning off doing mode and just being present what is. And so what that means is if the pager goes off, you actually, when you're very mindful, are not reactive to it at all you're able to notice that it's going off, you're able to turn it off, and then you're able to go back. And that's what the practice eventually gives you. It's really cool. There are studies that show that people who are practiced in mindfulness, when they're doing work, if a distraction comes up, somehow their brain is not thrown off or captured by the distraction to nearly the same degree as people who aren't practiced in mindfulness. So, people who don't practice mindfulness at all, it could be something, you know, let's just say even uh, like they remember something, you know, and, and that just suddenly grabs their whole attention and they feel like they have to switch all that they're doing. It's like, uh, in the movie Up, the, uh, dog, when it sees, when, when it sees the squirrel, there's the talking dog, you know, and then there's like, squirrel. You know, it's like all this attention is just riveted suddenly, no matter what it was saying to, to the squirrel. Well, that's what people are like, you know, when, when they do, when they don't have this skill. You know, that they get totally absorbed by the next thing, whatever crosses their mind or an interruption that comes along and they just get taken off track by it. Whereas people who are mindful, it's like it comes to their consciousness that it's there, but they don't react to it. So they don't have to miss a beat. Like their stride doesn't get affected. They're just, okay, they had this, whatever the distraction was. They might even write it down to remember it later, but it doesn't take them off their stride. So, I think that's the power of mindfulness. It lets you to be very intensely engaged in, in work um, while at the same time, uh, you know, being at peace with a certain equanimity. It's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. So, now hitting, kind of focusing a little bit on the, in the time left that we have on the benefits of mindfulness. So, you mentioned this uh, being more resilient to distractions. Earlier, you'd also mentioned something that I thought was very interesting that when you're rushing, you're just gonna do things the same way. Cause you're you're almost going so fast that I am sure there's something neurological here that you just will will kind of run on autopilot and you'll always just do things the same way. Yeah, you have to economize. There's no way you can go fast and be kind of detecting you know, looking for new opportunities. Um so that seems to be another benefit of doing things mindfully, doing things slowly, is that you're open to new ways of doing things. Uh, to gaining what we would call mastery, uh, strategizing, practicing. Um, so I don't know if you have a, a clear sense of like what you see as the key benefits of mindfulness.
1: No, I think that you listed them. There's a sense of um, calm and creativity and intensity and also confidence. I think that people who are able to practice mindfulness are not plagued by self-doubts in the same way. They're not as as likely, you know, to be uh, charged with fight or flight, you know, because they're just not reactive as much to the thoughts that might come up or even the threat that might come up. And they can handle the threat calmly and coolly. So there is a sense that mindfulness gives us confidence, you know, and peace. So we become more unflappable, uh, but at the same time, completely able to creatively engage the challenge. So I think in all these ways, it is one of these really crucial, necessary skills.
0: Awesome. Well, great, Kevin. I don't know if you, uh, we're basically out of time now. I don't know if you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with?
1: Uh, well, maybe just this idea that one great practice you know, for of, of mindfulness is learning how to put more care into the smallest actions. So if you have to clean your room, say there's stuff that's dirty all over, to try to turn that into not one action of cleaning the room, but a series of very little ones. You know, so that you can do deliberately, put your whole attention into each of the deliberate things. I think once you slow down while doing that, you'll you'll see something that is hard to put into words, but it's actually possible to in some way put love and care into each of those actions. So you find that the actions become receptacles for love. But there's something about, uh, you know, people say love dilates the eyes. uh, And that's a great, but that's what happens when you slow down a bit. So to slow down, and you'll see that, in fact, the smallest actions can even contain your highest ideals.
0: I like that. Okay, I'm going to spend this afternoon working a little bit more slowly than usual. Me too. Okay, (laughs) great. Well, thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks, Ruth. We'll be back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out optimwork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.